Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy. On today's episode, we have the wonderful Jennifer Finlinson Fife, who we were honored to have as a part of a recent book club in our community. If you aren't aware, every month, the Improving Intimacy Facebook group hosts a book club. So if you're interested in that, feel free to come join the community and uh, sign up for those book club meetings. We held a little different format this time because Jennifer doesn't have a book. So she was willing to take questions from our community. And what is about to follow is those discussions in that book club that we had recently. So I hope you enjoy. As always, please feel free to provide feedback or topics that you like covered in this podcast. I hope you enjoy. The only event I think that isn't currently full is just one that we kind of last minute decided to do because we had an opportunity, uh, a venue, which is uh, doing the Art of Desire workshop in Alpine, Utah, next week, a week from Thursday and Friday. So it's a two-day women's workshop. It's like my most popular course and workshop because it's a course focused on women's um, self and sexual development and kind of rethinking the whole paradigm in which we've been enculturated and how it really interferes with desire and development. And so it's a good one. It's, you know, taking my dissertation research and everything I've kind of learned since then. So, um, so that's in Alpine and we just posted the tickets for sale like three or four days ago and uh, we still have maybe 20 spots left. So if anybody's interested in it, um, you can get a ticket. So on my website, actually, on my homepage. So, yeah. Wonderful. At this point, I have to admit that I did exactly what Ellen and I talked about that I wouldn't do, which is forget to mention that uh, our other uh, host tonight is Ellen uh, Hersom. <laughs> So we've been accepting questions for the last 24 hours, and we had several that came in, and we have uh, picked three or four um, that we might get to. I don't know, however, however many we're able to get to tonight. Sure. And uh, Ellen, why don't you pick up and sure. give us a question? Happy to jump right in. Yeah, so we got a few questions tonight. We thought we'd start off with this one. Um, it's, there's often debate around sex being a need or not, and how neediness isn't sexy, and how sex being a need kills desire. Yet many view sex as a need, not in life or death sense, but because they need that healthy sex life helps them be happier, both individually and as a couple. If sex isn't a need, so there's two parts here, if sex isn't a need, what does this say about David Snarch's sexual crucible? If any marriage would be improved by a healthy, intimate sexual relationship, how can it be said that sex isn't a need? If sex is a need, is uh, in this sense of being able to be to achieve personal growth, if I understand how Snarch views marriage, or the corresponding increase in marital satisfaction or individual happiness, how can we talk about its importance without killing desire? or making one partner feel like it's their duty instead of something they're doing for themselves to increase their own happiness. I feel like if the couple isn't working toward a healthy sexual relationship, they're leaving something good and positive on the table and missing a wonderful opportunity. 
Okay, uh, it's a good question. Although I think the questioner is conflating the issue of well, I mean they're you're, they're using the word need in a way that kind of complicates it. I think when I say sex isn't a need, uh, what I if I've said that, what I mean is it's not a drive. It's not required for survival, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people try to pressure their partner to have sex with them by putting it in the frame that they need it. Mm-hmm. Meaning, and um, my issue with that is if you're going to talk about need, need is a way of trying to pressure their partner to manage and accommodate you without sort of taking responsibility for what you want. That's why I don't like it. So if you're going to talk about need, then I'm t- thinking more about the issue of survival and nobody needs sex to survive. Because as I've said, if that were true, there'd be a lot of dead people in our wards. And <laughs> oh my goodness. Maybe, oh, maybe that's yeah. good. <laughs> is what i'm hearing you say is is more of a manipulative yes uh, tone okay yeah exactly and as soon as you start trying to manipulate which many people do this the higher desire person tends to do this and you know men are given that script a lot that they need sex and so on but as Mormons, we should be the least prone to that idea because we are fine from a theological perspective with people going without sex for their whole lives. Okay, so yeah. I, now that said, I think sex is a part of thriving. Uh, intimate sex is a part of thriving. It's part of a marriage thriving. And um, I, I wouldn't so much say that you must have sex in order for marriage to be good. Also, I wouldn't say you need for marriage to be good in order to have sex. I'm just saying that marriage, uh, meaning good sex is a part of thriving, but good sex is not something you manipulate or pressure into place. And lots of people try and don't believe me when I say that. (laughs) So, you know, we all want to be desired, but the hard thing about being desired is you can't make somebody desire you. Desire is a grace. And the more we try to control it and get somebody to give it to us, the less desirable we are. And the more that it feels, you know, like an obligation or you're having sex with your partner just to get them off your back or to get them to stop bugging you or moping or, you know, whatever. And um, even if you get the sex, you still don't feel desired. And so it's a, it's, it's tough. It's tough business. Because the very thing we want, we don't have control over getting. We only have control over how desirable we are. So part of their question that I think I want to highlight a little bit is, they say, how can we talk about its importance without killing desire? So Yeah, yeah, because people are talking about its importance as a way to manipulate often, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're saying it like, I was working with a couple recently, and it was sort of, you know, I... I'm focused on this marriage growing. That's why I want to try all these new things with you. Mm-hmm. And so they're using the idea of they're standing up for a good marriage as a way to pressure the other person. Yes. So and, not making it manipulative. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you can be standing up for a good marriage and a good partnership by dealing with yourself, dealing mm-hmm. with the issue of your desirability. That doesn't preclude you from talking about the sexual relationship. But a lot of us are, because it's so easy to do it as human beings, we're much more focused on what we think we need our spouse to do. Either yeah. stop pressuring us so much or get their act together and, you know, 
go to Jennifer's Art of Desire course or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to advise the men go and buy the course, and then the day later they ask for a refund because their wife doesn't want to go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so, <it. laughs> um, you know, so they're they're pressuring more on what the other person needs to do as opposed to what is my role in a sex an unsatisfying sex sexual relationship. I don't mean to say you can't talk about it and address what your spouse isn't doing, but oftentimes we're so much more drawn to what our spouse is doing wrong than what how we're participating in the problem and it keeps people stuck. Yeah, and they mentioned right at the beginning this neediness isn't sexy. Exactly. So if somebody's approaching this conversation in a relationship about their desire to have sex and being in a relationship, a sexual relationship, they they could essentially be approaching it in this neediness. And I think right. it sounds like their question is, how can I approach it and not be killing desire by this neediness, but also be addressing the importance of intimacy and sexual relationship in, in the marriage? I mean, I, it, it sounds maybe like I'm not answering the question, but you have to confront. <laughs> well, no, no, not you. I'm saying me because I, I'm going to say something that maybe sounds like I'm not answering it. But okay. I think you have to kind of confront that you are using the frame of neediness. Hmm. to get the other person to take care of you, right? Uh -huh. So I feel so bad about myself. I feel so undesirable. I feel so depressed when we're not having sex. And so for the love, give it to me. Okay, so that that's so you can do that. Mm -hmm. You might even get some sex, but you're not going to get a passionate marriage. You're not going to get the experience of being on an adventure together where you try new things you have to deal with the fact that marriage is not designed in my opinion and you know i see this we kind of learn the idea that marriage is mutual need fulfillment mm. and that's the wrong model in my opinion that it's not about you prop up my sense of self and i'll prop up yours because that just doesn't work it breaks down very quickly absolutely Even that's what's happening yeah, that's what's happening when you date, but it only lasts for those few months, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's it's short time span. In marriage, you really have to handle your sense of self. You have to sustain your sense of self. If you can sustain your sense of self, you're approaching your spouse from the position of, I desire you, I love you, I like you, I like being with you, and it's real. Not, do you love me, do you desire me, am mm -hmm. I enough? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's not... You know, a lot of people, when they say, how was it? They mean, how was I? Mm -hmm, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And people know that, they instinctively know what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. Are you touching your spouse because you uh, want them to validate you sexually? Are you touching them because you really do desire them and find them attractive and you are can stand on your own and sustain your sense of self? And a lot of us don't even track that's what we're doing. I think that goes to say a lot to what you had spoken about in your first podcast that we had linked to this mm -hmm. book club mm -hmm. where you had done the role play where you stood in for the husband and spoke mm -hmm. what he would say to his spouse in, right. in that sexless marriage. But it was what you're saying here. He came across as this is what I need. This is where I stand. Yes. Um, and this is what I'm looking for. I love you. And this is where I'm at. It was right. less of this is what I I'm in need. It exactly. Was more, this is where I'm at. That's right. He's talking about what he wants from a marriage, what he yeah. um, really is standing up for, but he doesn't sound needy. Yes. 
Yeah. It's not about, hey, you have to give it to me, please, oh, please, oh, please. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like he's sustaining his own sense of self in that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to dig into this question. I, I don't, it, I'm not the one who wrote it, but I wanted to give this person the opportunity to kind of hear out the full, I'm, I'm feeling satisfied with it. I don't know who wrote it, but if they have any additional questions, they're welcome to jump in. Otherwise, um, I want to give time to more questions. I know, Ray, um, we were going to tag team it. Mm -hmm. You have a, a second question to go. I do. So this is a honeymoon question. Because I've recently heard you and other LDS podcasters talk about how newlyweds can have a better honeymoon. Thank you. This conversation is sorely needed. However, I'm disappointed that it so often addresses only the new husband's likely transgressions while ignoring the new wife's. This makes the conversation feel very one-sided and blaming. I would love to hear you tackle the other half of the problem with equal energy to round out the conversation by talking just as bluntly to future wives about what they need to know and do to make their first sexual experience a good one. Cinderella will wreck a honeymoon just as completely as the inattentive two-minute groom we talk about so often. Yeah, I mean, probably the reason why I focus on the men is is in part because we are so male-focused in our notions of sexuality. And, uh, and so lots of men come into marriage, and LDS men specifically, in a kind of unacknowledged entitled position. Right. So it's kind of like I've this is my prize for having remained virginal all this time. And this is, you know, and, and they have learned about sexuality in the frame of women exist to gratify this urge within men. So it very often the couple is complicit in that framing, meaning they come by it honestly, but that's their understanding. And so it often goes that the woman has a very unsatisfying experience and um, and you know they both are kind of part participating in this idea that the sexuality is primarily about the man. So okay, so this person wants me to have equal energy <laughs> challenge him. I don't know if I can generate it or not <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But um, uh, I mean, I guess what I would say to a future woman is, is just everything I say in the Art of Desire course, right? Which is that, um, you know, your sexuality is as important as the man's sexuality and this is a partnership, right? And that it, if you frame it in this idea that this is a gift you're giving to your future husband, uh, you can say goodbye to positive sexual experiences because that frame will kill it. Um, and so even though it's the frame you've been taught and you've also probably been taught, you know, the idea that your selflessness and your sacrifice is gonna be fundamental to the marriage being happy and that you are partly responsible for your husband's happiness sexually and in the marriage that sounds a little bit wrong for me to say it like that, but 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 basically, you kind of shoulder this responsibility of him being happy, uh, especially sexually. That that framing is going to make you unhappy in the marriage, will kill intimacy, and will be a part of you disliking sex soon enough. So you must think of it as a shared experience. And I would probably be talking to women about how important it is for them to 
you know, if they are relatively naive coming into marriage, how important it is for them to take the time to understand their own capacity for uh, arousal and orgasm and to not make the focus be intercourse, but mutual arousal, mutual pleasure, and that this is a team sport and that taking the time to be together in this process, which is, you know, intercourse and orgasm are not as important as being together in this process of creating something mutual, shared, and desirable by both of you is extremely important and you ought not move into a passive position, even though you maybe have learned that's the proper way for a woman to be sexually, that you are a co-constructor of this relationship. And if you take that position, it's a devaluation of your self and will interfere with the, the marriage developing as a partnership. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I have way more to say on it than that because I've just, that's kind of like my main passion. Jennifer, I'd even jump in to say on your third podcast that we posted, The Virtue, Passion, and Owning Your Desire, you spoke a lot to that point of, are you ready as a woman to take on being part of the relationship equally? Yeah, right. And step into that role. Yes. And I thought that was really um, important. To pull yeah. Out. So I think, you know, one of the things that we just posted today, a quote from one of the podcasts I did recently was just that, you know, a lot of us are tempted to hide behind a partner, you know, mm -hmm. to not really step up and be in an equal position. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we talk about that as the, the male oppresses the female. But I think what feminism hasn't articulated as clearly as it's talked about that dynamic of, of oppression is how like the upside of being Cinderella in a sense, mm -hmm. do you know the fantasy that someone's going to caretake you and protect you from the big bad world and sort of, you can just sort of there's hide in their in shadow. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. comfort in it for many mm -hmm. of us. And, and we're, so that's why we're complicit in creating an unequal marriage is we want a caretaker more than we want a partner. Yes. I'd even go to say that there's familiarity in that. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's right. You know, we grew up watching Cinderella, exactly. you yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, I was looking for somebody to ride in on a horse oh, for sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> literally a horse, a white horse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I remember my first year of marriage, you know, I was actually in a PhD program. I was 29 years old. And my, just my IQ dropped in the first year. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just started, I had earned all my own money for my mission for college. I had lived independently for years, okay? I get married and I start like, I don't know, just doing dumb things like parking in a tow zone because I thought John had told me it was okay to park there. <laughs> so stupid. I, I would never have done this in a million years. If I had, I was just sort of moving into the frame that I knew. And yep. even my husband was like, what's going on? Like, why did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I got married. <laughs> my brain's up. Exactly. And almost just like, it's almost in your, in your DNA or something. Like you're just moving into what you've known. And so you have to catch yourself that you sometimes are dumbing yourself down because you think that's the way you'll keep yourself desirable. Yeah, uh, I think that's a very good point. It's uh -huh. this idea that that keeps you desirable. But in fact, what keeps you desirable is that ability to make choices and 
be yeah to have an your, to have a self in the marriage identity. yes absolutely and any any man or woman for that matter who needs a partner to be under them uh-huh. for them to feel strong is a weak person yeah right? and you made so, that point actually in another one yeah. of your podcasts mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I honestly was married to somebody who was like, wait, what are you doing? Don't do meaning he needed me not to do that. He had no uh-huh. need for me to do that. So it was helping me stay awake to my own kind of blind um, movement in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes it just happens. You do it. You, it's almost this innate, yes, like you said, it's this 100%. innate reaction. And then someone else finds that, oh, okay, we'll do it becomes a pattern. Absolutely. Um, but you got to get yourself out of that pattern. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I still can do things like that where if I'm with an intimidating male, I'll go into nice girl instinctively and, you know, and just oh, all of a sudden realize I'm like <laughs> throwing all my strength away like an idiot. And so it's, yeah. but it's easy to do. Yeah, definitely. Well, and perhaps that's actually another thing we don't, do very well in preparing um, people to be married is you've lived your whole life as an individual and now you've got to learn how to be in a relationship all the time with somebody right and if you've been on your own a long time you're probably actually looking forward to being able to lean on a partner to help with yeah 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 Yeah. but lean on might be a little different than the experience of partnering and sharing the burden where lean on is a little more of a dependency model, but the collaboration model is really the where you have intimate partnerships. That how can I bring my strengths and you bring your strengths to bear and we can create something stronger and better together, but it's not dependency in the right. kind of up down way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and that was, that was not what I was implying by yeah. that. But yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm just a word Nazi, I have to say, <laughs> because, <laughs> because words communicate meaning. So I'm like, no, wrong meaning, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe a, a slightly different perspective. I've worked with a lot of men who've been very patient. They've, they've stopped the pursuing of sex or taken that dominant role and have allowed themselves from maybe your podcasts or, or things that they've just learned naturally to kind of back off and allow that space to be there. Uh, but then something else is happening is, is kind of what we're talking about is the female has no desire to pursue desire. So months mm-hmm. go by, six months yeah. will go by. In some cases, even years will go by where Decades. the husband is not bringing it up in, in a maybe occasionally is it, is it a good time tonight. But mm-hmm. then the, the partner is just like, no, I'm fine. How would you go about addressing that? And, and what what's the role? What is, does the man just not yeah. pursue it anymore? Or no, what? no, definitely not. And, and I hope I can address this well, because I'm, I am 100%, I promise going to do a class on men's sexuality this year. <laughs> I, I, I keep promising this, but I actually am going to do it. <laughs> anyway, but I do hope I can talk quite a bit about this, because I think we sort of socialize men either into the entitled position, or they if they don't want to be that, then they, they almost can't own desire at all Mm -hmm. they see it as it's offensive that i want it Mm -hmm. and this is just this hedonistic bad part of me and and you know they can sometimes be partnered with a wife who kind of takes the moral high ground of not wanting sex or whatever and this of course gets very punctuated by if porn has been in the picture at all because you know now you can kind of claim that you're the bad one because you want sex and it can make it really hard to 
to deal with the sexlessness of the marriage. So what I would be thinking about is if you're the higher desire person, whether male or female, and your spouse does not desire you, I think the first question I would want to deal with is why, okay? Why don't they desire me? Is it about me or is it about them or both? Is it that I'm not desirable and that I'm functioning in a way in my life or in the marriage or in the sexual relationship that it has actually good judgment that they don't desire me? And or is there something going on in them that they don't want to deal with or grow up or handle around sexuality? And that obviously seems like a basic question, but it's one that people surprisingly don't ask themselves very much. Because, you know, as I was talking to somebody a couple nights ago, I was saying, you know, why not go ahead and just ask your wife why she doesn't desire you? And the reason for him is he doesn't want to hear the answer. I was going to say, I, that's a very scary question to ask. Yes, exactly. Um, and in part because he already knows the answer and he doesn't want to deal with his own neediness and the ways that he takes advantage in the marriage and the things that are actually there that he would need to deal with to be freely desired. I mean, that's the bummer about marriage and intimacy is that your partner gets to know you. And so the things that your, your limitations become anti-aphrodisiacs often. And so if you're going to really grow in a marriage and a partnership, you have to really look at how do I engage or deal in a way that makes me undesirable. Sometimes people are undesirable, and I'll just speak in the stereotypical way for a moment about, you know, some men are undesirable because they're too apologetic about their sexuality, because they sort of devalue it also, and they want the wife to manage the question of their desirability or manage the question of the legitimacy of their sexuality. And so when they are too anxious or apologetic or looking for reinforcement around their sexuality, it feels more like mothering or caretaking on the part of their spouse. And that's very undesirable. And so it's a hard question for men and for all of us, I think, in some ways of how do I stand up for something I want without being a bully, right? And, you know, be contained enough without being wimpy and, and apologetic for my sexuality. And how do I find that middle ground of kind of owning that my sexuality is legitimate and being clear about my desirability without somehow taking advantage or being too reticent around it? And I, I think the answer, it's not an easy one to give in just a podcast really because you kind of have to work with people around what's actually going on. But I think you have to really look honestly and with a clear eye towards the issue of your desirability and your own comfort with your sexuality and your sexual desires. Because if you can be clear that you're choosable and clear that what you want is a good thing and doesn't harm your spouse or you, then you can stand up for it and deal with, because it could be that your spouse doesn't want sex because she or he just doesn't want to deal with their anxieties about sex. And maybe you've been pressured in the marriage to coddle those anxieties too much and too long. And it's creating resentment and low growth. Well, then, then it would actually be a desirable position, even though a challenging one, to stand up more for 
the sexual relationship moving forward, like in that one podcast I did. So okay. other other follow-up oh, questions ahead. about that or thoughts, if anybody has them, I'm happy to. I'm guessing here, but the person who asked the question, because I've heard you talk about it, I've heard, um, I think, uh, Natasha Helfer-Parker talk about it, Nate Bagley talk about it, um, and it, 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 it does kind of sound uh, pretty one-sided. It's, you know, husband, you got to set your, your agenda aside. You got to make it all about her. You know, you're, <laughs> don't be a jerk. Um, my yeah. experience was, and I know a lot of other men have, have had a similar experience, is it's not that we wanted, you know, it was we were going to just run over our wife and get what we wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we you wanted maybe didn't have you didn't have a participant maybe from the get-go some people yes and so right. if your partner shows up without any um, any clue at all about what they want or what they need sure how oh, do you yeah. navigate that absolutely right it can't be collaborative if if one person is in not showing up if they're pulling for a passive position and many people are and you know Women have been taught not to kind of claim their sexuality because it's anti-feminine, you know, that, and so a lot of people believe they're going to show up and the man is going to teach them about their sexuality. And, and really, how does he know? <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> For so many people. And also, how do you co-create something unless you're both participants in this process? So, yeah, it's true. I think yeah. the frustrating thing is that and I was one of them, oftentimes women don't, they don't realize they have desire and they don't even feel like there's anything for, the, they're not the one with the problem. It's the husband wanting it and I guess pressuring. But like when I'm, I'm in this intimacy group and it breaks my heart to hear from the husbands because the wives aren't in the group, they have no desire to want to get better as far mm -hmm. as the sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. So that's what breaks my heart is these husbands want to, but the wives just shut it down. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have anything to do with helping mm -hmm. themselves mm -hmm. or, or help, you know, yeah. and that, that's, that's what I get frustrated in is how do you help these husbands like stand up for what it would be beautiful and right and good in this relationship, but the wives just want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, there's the, there's the part of me that's compassionate towards the wife and then the part that would challenge the wives. Okay. So the compassionate mm -hmm. part is this is how it's all set up. Okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, desire is bad, sexual desire, any kind of desire. I mean, I grew up the whole young women's manual is about your selflessness and how that makes you desirable. And that's the frame, right? So it is a passive frame mm -hmm. and, and that sexuality is a challenge to your desirability. So you want to shut it down. I have lots of clients who had sexual feelings and thoughts. They'd watch Love Boat and masturbate and so on and on. And then they feel so guilty and bad that they'd repent and shut it down and shut it down, you know? Yes. And they, as an act of righteousness and sacrifice would basically shut this whole thing down. Then they show up on their wedding night and they're supposed to be a participant. I mean, based on what, right? So meaning exactly. we culturally create this. Now that said, because I have compassion for that, both in, and men too, because for the men that maybe are too eager or whatever, they've also, they come by it honestly. They've been sort of taught this idea that women's sexuality exists for their benefit and for their delight and so on. So, you know, people come by it honestly. I think where I would be 
challenging of women is when they just don't want, you know, I talk about hiding in the shadow. A lot of us don't want to own what our desires are or cultivate mm -hmm. them or figure them out because we don't want the exposure of it. We want the safety of having somebody else caretake us. We mm -hmm. want the belief or the fantasy that this makes us more righteous or more noble or whatever. And we want to sell that idea because what we really know is we don't want to sort of grow up and take an adult position sexually. And so I think the challenge is once you start, you know, I have a lot of women whose husbands signed them up for the workshop or something and they are mad because, and legitimately so, because they feel like, look, you just want me to go get fixed so mm. that you will get everything that you want. Well, then sometimes they show up there and then they realize, no, that's not the, that's not the approach she's taking. And I have this whole aspect of myself that I have shut down, that it's felt so self-betraying. And then they suddenly realize, wait, I want to develop this part of me. I want to be whole again. I don't want to always be living in reference to my husband's sexuality. So they really just start to grow into it and they start to figure out and, and sort of deprogram these parts of themselves. There's other people that don't want to develop this part of themselves because they are afraid, they're in a marriage where they're afraid if they start to develop any of it, it will just get hijacked, right? And used for the benefit of the husband because the dynamic of the marriage has to be addressed still. But then there's other people who just, like I said, don't really want to grow up and develop and they can hold the other their spouse hostage and they can get the moral high ground because he's looked at porn or whatever it is. And it's a, it's cruel. You know, <laughs> it, it is absolutely cruel. And, and people can definitely do that because they just don't, you know, don't want to grow up, don't want to be fair, don't want to take on the full responsibility of sharing a life with somebody. You know, a lot of us get married with the idea that you're going to manage my sense of self and make me happy. Men and women do this. Very few of us, if we really thought about what we were committing to, would even get married because what we're really committing to is I'm willing to basically deal with my limitations and grow myself up for your benefit, given that you're willing to actually, you know, hook yourself to me. And I'm willing to really be a good friend to you and do all the growth that that's going to require of me. I mean, that's what you ultimately agree to if you're going to be happily married. So you're speaking a lot of collaboration, mm -hmm. a collaboration yeah. alliance. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand you've spoken in the past of collaboration alliance versus collusive alliance. Yeah, a collaborative alliance versus a collusive one. Yes. Uh -huh. what's, what's your difference in that? It being a unilateral can you speak a little bit more to that? Well, a, a collaborative alliance is, I think, the easiest way to say it. And I'm sure if David Schnarch were here, he would say it much more thoroughly. But basically, the idea that, that David Schnarch is talking about is a collaborative alliance is you are willing to do your part in a mm -hmm. partnership towards a shared aim. Good, mm -hmm. Being good parents, be creating a good marriage in which two people thrive. <laughs> creating a good sexual relationship in which two people thrive, that would be collaborative. And you do your part, whether or not your spouse is doing their part. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't use the fact that your spouse may be having a bad day and not doing their part to get yourself off the hook around your part, Definitely. that you're willing to stand up and be a grown up and deal with things, even if your spouse is having a bad day. Mm -hmm. uh, a collusive alliance is basically where the worst in your spouse and your worst in, in you, and, and everybody's in some version of a collusive alliance with their spouse, the happier people have less of one, okay? But a collusive alliance is the worst in you hooks into the worst in me and it justifies the worst in each of us. We use the okay. worst in each other to justify the worst in ourselves. 
So yep. it's like, you know, people say yeah, to me all the really time in therapy, therapy. I would, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be such a jerk if he weren't such a, what, a, you know, like meaning people, this <laughs> yeah. is collusive alliance that I, I don't have to deal with my sexuality because you're a jerk. Mm. And so I use the fact that you're a jerk to keep justifying that I don't deal with my sexuality, but you can get really mean and hostile and nasty because you know, I won't develop this part of myself. Mm. Right. So that's the way it, 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 it reinforces and I'm constantly in therapy being like, stop dealing yeah. with your spouse, deal with yourself. It's the only way this will move forward. I'm always saying that. Look in the and mirror. Exactly. Get the beam out of your own eye. <laughs> There's, I think, a few question or comments in the uh, comment section. So you don't have to do it this moment. But let me have a second follow up with that. If you ever have a script for how to address that with your kids. Well, when the kids were younger, well, yeah, yeah, when my kids were younger, and this was a borrow, I think, from the Ayers book, but basically they would have to sit on the couch and they couldn't get off until they each owned what their role was in the problem. So, yes. yeah, that's one version of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another version is like put you both in the same boat, and until you can come up with a solution, neither one gets the positive thing. So you have to collaborate to get the positive thing. Mm hmm. Okay. So, so kind of back to a topic that we had been discussing about the woman really stepping into the role of being collaborative and in equal partnership in the relationship. Um, we have a comment in the chat box saying, how do we change the church culture problems of the unclear functioning of women? Under functioning. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, good. So how do we change that culture? I mean, it's the women themselves often that are doing the teaching to basically teach better and teach differently. I mean, it, like we can't necessarily go in and change or control what is in the curriculum, but we can change how we talk to women and we can change what we share, you know, in relief society and so on, what we, so that that's about the best we have. You can do podcasts. <laughs> it's, really, it's really us. We can it's change us. us. And us will change our relationships with others, and our others, our relationships with others will change the others we interact with, and it will expand. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I just tend to, a lot of times we think the church is the leadership, and then we're, and you know, we, we are yeah, the church. Yeah. You have yeah. to think of it that way, in my opinion. And you just roll up your sleeves and and have as much impact as you can, because I think the more you role model strength like that, mm -hmm. the more you give people permission to relate to themselves or to women in general differently. Mm -hmm. So next one is, is really interesting one. It says, how is it best to navigate having sex during marriage struggles? They go on to say, when she's rude or attacks the kids or criticizes or makes fun of me in front of the kids, I'm so repulsed, I don't feel like being around her at all. But then eventually, within a few days or less, we both get the biological urge and want to enjoy each other, so we do. And it's great, and we feel closer and better afterwards, but I worry she thinks everything is okay or resolved because we're having sex when it's not. Perhaps that's how she feels as well. We are starting therapy, or we started therapy a few months ago, and that's helpful, though expensive, chance to talk through things. However, in general, when we get a rare chance to be alone and talk away from the kids, we'd mostly rather have sex than talk about our problems. Okay, well, Is that's that the a good approach. Any <laughs> advice no. about sex <laughs> when difficult problems are also present? Well, 
it doesn't have to be one or the other because you could say, I really want to have sex with you, but I think the way you talked to the kids today was horrible. <laughs> okay. Now you don't have to necessarily put them right next to each other, yeah. but it, it, I wouldn't say one precludes the other necessarily. You can say, I like you. I, you matter to me. I like having sex with you. And I'm really concerned about how we're parenting the kids and specifically how you are harsh with them. And then I come in and I coddle them or whatever it is. I don't think it has to, I, I think what maybe the person's asking is if I address this, it may very well kill. I would say absolutely. Yes. Our ability to have yeah. sex. Right. But then I would say, if that's really true, if you can't deal with your problems and have sex at the same time, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. Mm -hmm. Because if dealing honestly with what's going on in the marriage means that you're going to go through a period of time in which desire gets challenged. Well, I personally think you have a deeper responsibility to the well-being of the marriage and your role as parents than to whether or not you have the, how to say it, the, the placating experience of having sex. So I'm not here to say that, that necessarily you get one or the other, but uh, if you know that you get one or the other, then I think you have to be really careful about how you're relating to sex. Because so it has its cost. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it has its cost if you keep kicking. You know, I talk in my, my marriage course about overreactors, people that are freaking out all the time, but, but then there's also people that are underreactors or they don't deal with problems as they arise. That's as toxic to a marriage. You can have people that look like they're doing great because they have sex or they are low conflict, but a, a huge storm is brewing. And oftentimes when those marriages rupture, they rupture permanently because they have no ability to, they have no ability to kind of handle uh, the problems because they have no practice in it. Mm -hmm. And so underreacting to your troubles is, is really setting yourself up. Yeah. It's an avoidance technique. Yeah. What they're doing. And, so, and you know, of course the problems grow. Mm. They don't, they don't go away. They grow. They, they start getting out of your control when you don't deal with them. And they're certainly recognizing that. Like they've said, yeah, that they don't like that they're doing this. Yeah. They, they're they're concerned about this they've started going to therapy they recognize that's a very expensive way <laughs> to talk but they also recognize that they're physically attractive and they they have as they say yeah. the biological urge and they want to to pursue that as well and so i see that as a good thing as well yeah. that they still yeah, well, have that despite this um, yeah, well, and it doesn't little. it doesn't mean that you can't have sex for sure because there's lots of couples that are dealing with their troubles and they're still having sex. Yeah, it's just another way of being together and sort of, you know, I think sometimes we have the idea that everything must be good in the relationship and then sex is legitimized. It's just mm -hmm. kind of a Mormon cultural idea we have. I don't see it that way because I think a good sexual relationship can give you some of the sustenance to kind of keep dealing with the challenges. Right. I mean, part of why I've worked out things with my husband is because I'm attracted to him. Okay. And I want a good sexual relationship, but I want, you know, and so that desire pushes you through the, the troubles. It, it gives you the energy to deal with the hard things. So I wouldn't necessarily say it, it should, you shouldn't be having sex. I would say ah. if you're using it to get away yeah. from your troubles, then it's a problem.
but using it for motivation to work through this. Sure. Absolutely. Now, I think what some people are afraid of is if they talk about hard things, then their spouse won't want to have sex with them. People can be complicit in not dealing with things, but you certainly can use it as a resource. 100%. So their general question is how best to navigate having sex during marriage struggles is sounds like you're saying, of course, don't cut it out <laughs> altogether. Yeah. Don't, but don't use it as a way to avoid having those conversations. Exactly. There may be some fear around having those conversations that it will reduce the amount of sex that you're having, but using the desire for each other as a motivation to work through those troubles because you want to get close together. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I, and I would say what often happens for couples is when they're right in the heat of the struggle, sometimes their desire goes down, but as they start to work things out, the sex mm -hmm. gets way better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that you feel gratitude, you know, you see your partner as somebody who's willing to deal with things. You, you feel more aware of your separateness as a couple in through mm -hmm. some of the struggle. And so the sex is more positive. So I wouldn't see it as one or the other, but I think if you want good sex, you, you want your relationship to keep growing and thriving. And that Absolutely. means dealing with hard things. Yeah. I can imagine that coming through difficulties and then coming to this place of convergence where you're just together on something and you've you've almost you've repaired something together absolutely it would make it even more powerful and even more meaningful uh, absolutely yeah absolutely yeah so i mean i think that's how couples continue to create novelty in a long-term partnership you know there's there's only so much novelty you can generate and i'm i'm I mean, I'm all for novelty, but you know, it's still the same person. It's, you know, <laughs> the same room or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so you know, I'm but I, about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I'm all for novelty. There's a lot of fun things you can do to create novelty, mm -hmm. but I think what's at the core of a good uh, intimate marriage is a growing marriage. It's a marriage that's growing and you don't take the other person for granted. You recognize that they will challenge things in themselves. They'll deal with things honestly. You know, you keep sort of becoming aware over and over again that this is a separate person from you who owes you nothing, but that will continue to grow and do better for your benefit and their own benefit. And that drives respect and desire. I and think that's so. a really key point that um, I, I'll personally draw out is they owe you nothing. That's right. That's hard to swallow. Yeah, I know there's this sense of, I've done this for you. You do this for me, give, take, you yeah. owe me kind of idea, but exactly. to get away from that yes. feeling that's, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And it's the only way to do marriage, in my opinion, to that's, do it, that's for, novel. It, to do it from a passionate position, because as soon yeah. as you get it into, I need this, you're obligated, you mm. owe me, right? Well, um, even just the marriage contract idea of we, you married me for good and for bad. This is bad. You are in it with me. This idea of you owe this for me, we're working on this, making sure that you're not using that as a form of manipulation. Yes, but but uh, motivation is, to work together. Yeah, which is not about precluding you from running your life because you can say, "Look, here are the terms of my participation in this marriage, and if you don't want to live by those terms, I I can choose to exit." Okay, I mean, I know that's hard when you have a mortgage and kids and all that, but you 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 can define the terms of your participation. You can control your own choices, 
But I think as soon as we are in the idea that you owe me, okay, as a way to pressure and to as a way to be in a marriage, you will kill desire. When it's more like, wow, this person chooses me day after day after day. That's amazing. This person has offered goodness to my life and they don't have to. And they do. And yet they do. It's, it's a miracle, actually. I mean, when you live in that frame, which is the only honest way to live in the world, to be honest, who's owed anything? Mm-hmm. There's children starving in Africa. Do you think that's what they're getting what they deserve? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you get good things, it's, it's good fortune. It's mm-hmm. by grace. It's by, and, and so if you don't live in a, gra- in a gratitude-based frame, you're going to have a hard time living with joy. And, and you have to live, I think you have to live in that frame in marriage. Now, again, I know people get like, wait a minute. Well, you just mean you have to take whatever you get? The person's having affairs? You can't, no, I'm not saying you can't decide if somebody is bringing too little good, if somebody is trying to take advantage of that commitment you've made, you know, that you may then have to make other choices because living with them is not good for you, right? Continuing to struggle with them is not good for you. But uh, the idea that, but, but that's different than living in marriage from a frame of demand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want the safety of doing that. And I think there's this importance of, again, as you've mentioned, this independence of self. You've mentioned in your other podcasts, sometimes you do have to bring the conversation to the point of, I'm willing to step away from this marriage if that's the case because this is not good for either of us Mm -hmm. and that's a very scary place to come oh yeah um but it's usually where people grow the most it's when they realize i can't make this marriage happen that that for me is when people often make their biggest strides in their development is when they stop trying to control whether or not their proud spouse chooses them whether or not the marriage stays together they're no longer controlling that they're only controlling who they are in the marriage. When people really take that developmental step, that's when marriages really, well, sometimes they fall apart at that point because the other person won't step up or they really, really take a massive step forward because people are really operating not from trying to obligate and control, but really a framing of choosing and controlling themselves and who they are in the marriage. Maybe I'm making a leap here, but would you say that that's more a high desire partner position to be in? Than a low desire. The, to put the the to question kind of, of the marriage on yeah. the line, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on know. why. It would depend on why. If somebody is in a marriage where their spouse just won't develop or deal with their sexuality, yes. That's where I'm, yeah, it, that's where yeah, I'm looking at. Right. If somebody is in a low desire position because their spouse is narcissistic, for example, or won't mm-hmm. deal with the ways that they take too much in the marriage and they keep trying to stand up to get that person to deal with who they are because they do want a good sexual relationship. They just don't want sex in the current form, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're low desire because of good judgment. Well, mm-hmm. then they may be the one who's saying, Look, I want good sex too. I just don't want what you're offering. It's all about you. Yeah. And so they they may be the ones putting on, you know, calling it quits. Interesting. I think um, whenever the notion of is sex a good enough reason to leave the marriage comes up, there are a lot of people who are really quick to jump on that because they're afraid that if we normalize that, that's going to be everybody's first choice. I don't get what yeah. I want, I'm out. And, yeah. and 
my experience it's, so it's, it's really the opposite it's it's when you're willing to actually walk away from it takes a lot to be willing to walk away from what you have absolutely um that's i don't know that it's a, that's anybody's yeah. first choice well and it, i think a lot of times when people are saying is sex enough reason we have it in the hedonistic frame rather than if sex really isn't happening in a marriage there's something bad going on okay you know what i mean yeah, like i mean it's, it's, it's not, not the sex yeah it's not the sex exactly it's not yeah. the sex sorry i don't mean to laugh about that no yes. but no you're right the sex is a, is an indicator of something much more profoundly important going on and so the sex is the canary in the coal mine and i think that actually hits the point of their original question the debate around sex not being neediness around isn't sexy, but also wanting to talk about the importance of it. Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to that in that it yeah. isn't necessarily about the sex, but it's the, it's the canary. But what killed the canary? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. Why is the canary dead? Okay. Yeah. Can we look at that? <laughs> Exactly. Is there just too much noxious, noxious gas that the canary yeah. can't breathe, or is the canary faking dead so that yeah. it yeah. doesn't have to, you know, sneaking um, away? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has been a pleasure chatting with you and being able to listen more, uh, focus to three podcasts and collect people's questions and really just discuss with you. So. I wanted to give you a couple minutes to close up any closing thoughts you had as far as the discussions that we've had today. If there's any kind of ending thoughts you'd like to share and then give you that au revoir and <laughs> that opportunity to, to sign off and sure. uh, really one day invite you to come back. We'd love to have a follow-up at some point and, uh, and do this again. Sure. But uh, the time is yours. Well, just say, you know, I, I guess maybe I would just say I respect in everybody that's here the pursuit of, of sorting through these hard things. Like, you know, marriage and intimate relationships are not easy, right? To, to achieve the beauty that relationships are capable of takes a lot of courage. Courage to deal honestly with ourselves, to deal honestly with our spouse, to face hard things it's you know happy marriages are not for the for sissies okay so. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> my wife just want, heard what you said and wants to put yeah. it on a t-shirt do we need to get a, a waiver or <laughs> happy marriages aren't for, for sissies, aren't for sissies. <laughs> uh, yeah you could do that just you know stick my stick my name on it and my website <laughs> <You got> it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i respect it i always respect it because i think it's the best in humans when people are willing to kind of face those hard things and when i watch people go through it it's hard but it's it's really where all the beauty lies so um there's divinity in all that process even though it can feel like you're in hell sometimes mm, well said mm -hmm. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Um, have a wonderful evening and uh, keep warm out there. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.